For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-back This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's show, from TheAthletic.com, Panthers beat writer Joe Person joins the Believe and Panthers podcast. But first, it's the opening drive. <laughs> And welcome to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, along with my co-host, cornerback Tyrone Poole, 13-year veteran, the first defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers in 1995. Uh, First-round selection, pick number 22, and Super Bowl winner with the New England Patriots from 2003 and 2004. Uh, Tyrone, the, the 2020 Carolina Panthers could potentially have one of the most explosive offenses in 2020, and I figured yes. with this being the week of 4th of July, uh, fireworks and explosions, what better week to talk about some of the most explosive players in Panthers history. Uh, yes. David Jeremiah from NFL Network actually ranks the 2020 Panthers skill positions on offense uh, as the fourth fastest in the league. Uh, and 11 personnel for those that aren't familiar with that 11 personnel is when you have three wide receivers, one tight end and one running back. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Panthers skill positions uh, in that personnel would be DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, Ian Thomas at tight end and mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey at running back. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you you were with the Panthers from 96 through 98 uh, there in the inaugural season, the the run to the NFC championship season in 96. And then uh, the the, fo- the following year, who are some of the guys? Because I, I jotted down a couple of names that first came to mind that are previous Carolina Panthers uh, or current Panthers that, to me, just have that explosive kind of quick twitch type of speed. Not just straight up running north south, but yes, you know, being able to juke a guy out of his socks. Like you can kind of see it on the field. You know, like when you're watching somebody on the field, you can kind of see the guys that are just a couple of steps faster than everybody else. Is there, is there a guy that immediately comes to mind uh, for you, Tyrone from the Panthers during your time there where everybody on the team knew that's the guy that's the fastest guy on the team, or that's the most explosive quick twitch type guy on our squad. Yes. And like you said, Michael, myself um, have thing I'm about to say the guy who actually I thought was very explosive. I got his name out before I said your name, Desmond. But, <laughs> I think but, I know where you're going, too. I think yeah, I exactly. on my list here. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, 90, from 95 to 98 and then continuing to follow uh, Carolina uh, throughout my days of playing, one of the guys that comes to my mind right away, uh, a lot of Panther fans are going to remember this guy, Michael Bates. Yes. Michael Bates was a, a returner uh, for the Panthers. And he was an Olympian as well. So Michael Bate was explosive and fast. It's like he generated so much force. He started off just like a sprinter. They started off kind of slow, drive mm-hmm. phase, drive phase. And then after a while, he get those knees up and going and boom, he's explosive. But here's my definition. First, I want to give people my definition of what I believe explosive is. So when you hear yeah. people speak of explosiveness, everybody's going to have different definitions, just like success. It's relevant to everybody. This is my definition of an athlete who's explosive. It's someone who utilizes their speed and strength to generate or develop a rate of force at a given time. Now, that could be a definition that you can find straight out of the dictionary. But to me, that's what 
explosiveness is. So if yeah. I stop and I got to regenerate, uh, go change direction, then I got to generate, develop a rate of force to move me in that new direction. So you got a lot of guys that they can run straight ahead. Mm-hmm. But once they stop, then it's like taking a big semi truck and trying to turn it. It's going to start off slow. But you got guys who are like speed cars. They get up fast. They stop. And they can regenerate, redirect and, and generate speed again. So Michael Bates was that guy. I thought uh, looking at a running back position, I always thought John- Jonathan Stewart. You hmm. look at his his stats. Basically, they say he run like a four four at two hundred thirty five pounds. Yeah, OK, that's a lot of of force and strength and speed being generated He's at like a, a given time. Ball. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then people forget about Lamar Lathan. I go back again, oh, a flash man. from the past. Yeah. Lamar Lathan was explosive. He was explosive. And then when they teamed him with Kevin Green, I'm like salt and pepper. Uh, mm-hmm. So you could go on and on Julius Peppers, you know, Sean Gilbert. I think Sean Gilbert, you no, know, Steve Smith. I think Steve Smith uh, was explosive. Uh, he had that leaping abilities and Steve has some big calves. Oh uh, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of guys you can name Cam, yeah. Cam Newton, Kerry Collins. I think those guys are explosive as well for their size and their position i like how you brought up steve smith because um michael bates and steve smith in particular they started off on the special teams like you know kickoff returns punt returns that kind of thing it seems like that's kind of where the guys on offense might be placed in the beginning to harness that speed i guess because you're just you're basically catching the ball and it's open field get to that hole before everybody else and turn it up field and and steve in particular if i'm not mistaken they didn't really look at him as a wide receiver at first even though he was coming in as a wide receiver out of uh, Utah, they had him at kick return, and he was a little upset that he wasn't getting as many reps at wide receiver, which he felt like he could do. But I'm glad you mentioned his leaping ability because at, what, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, Steve Smith was out leaping dudes, like, ridiculously. Yes. <laughs> Some of his best catches yes. are, like, ones where you're like, how in the world does dude get that high up in the air to get that ball? Um, I have yes. a guy that was on your squad that I was a huge fan of, especially in college, Rahib Rocket Ismail. Would you consider oh, him yes. an explosive guy or just a fast north-south type guy? Well, in, in order to be fast, you have to be explosive. And But he was fast. I would say Rocket was fast. Uh, he wasn't as strong. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays a part as well, power and strength. But he did have the speed. He did. He did have the speed and he was very quick. So, yes, Rocket was one of those explosive guys. Now, now going forward towards uh, more closer to 2020, before this iteration of the offense that we have now, there's a couple of burners on this offense. Um, Ted Gidd Jr., uh, the 2015 campaign where the Panthers, you know, picked a bad day to have a bad day. And the Super Bowl um, <laughs> literally only had two bad games the entire year, which is crazy. And I, and I tell people all the time, if you look at the stats of that 2015 Panthers team, if they had just beaten the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl, they would be considered one of the top three or four teams of all time in terms of what they did. I had read something on 538 about how the Panthers uh, that year had a like pretty much every game. They were blowing guys out in the first half. Like it was a ridiculous stat that they were getting up by, you know, such an amount that by the end of the first quarter, they had like a 91% chance of winning the game, like throughout the whole mm-hmm. year. Um, mm-hmm. and Ted Ginn Jr. basically was Cam's number one option uh, in that campaign. Now, Ted Ginn Jr.'s speed seems more straight forward, like you know, go straight around. line. Yeah, like mm-hmm. just, you know, just burn past whoever it is trying to guard you. So I don't know if that's necessarily explosive, although he was the fastest guy on that team by far. If you look at uh, this year's team, a defensive guy that's popped up in some conversations about being explosive is Brian Burns, um, the second-year defensive end drafted out of uh, Florida State. He ran a four-five-three forty, um, and he's he's built. He's kind of a taller, lankier kind of guy. But would you would you count guys like I know you ran off some of the defensive linemen, but like someone like Julius Peppers, you know, who played basketball, you know, at the University yes. of North Carolina. So I mean, and and I've. And he was not that bad. He was pretty good, actually. So I definitely put Pep in that category of explosive players, being able to get yes. off that line, you know, and to be able to beat your man, get him out of position. Um, would you would you say it's the same type of explosiveness as based off your definition for guys like Burns or, or Pep? Now, again, for Julius, I've, again, I think speed and strength 
that's what we I try to look at in order to give that definition of explosiveness. When you if you're a slender guy, yes, you can beat him off the edge with speed. But if that offensive lineman ever get his hands on you, your power, your speed is now going away. They take it away from you. Now, a person like Julius Peppers, he can get that speed rush, but also he can get that bull rush. So speed to power. I think that what makes a good, explosive, powerful uh, defensive lineman. So when you think about these guys who are just edge rushers and they just use their speed, another person would be like Charles Haley. Charles oh, Haley. Yeah. Was, yeah. Charles Haley was a great edge rusher. He could beat you with speed or he could just bull rush you mm-hmm. and just go right through. So that's why I say that definition of explosiveness it has to incorporate speed and strength because you got to be able to redirect with the same um, uh, uh, amount of mass production that you did if you're going straight line. So some of these guys, I think, are just straight line guys. They may not be speed and power. Right. And, and it's funny you mentioned um, you mentioned that and uh, Charles Haley and the first name that came to mind when you were describing that mix, uh, Dexter Manley. From the yes. Redskins, the defensive end, like in terms of explosiveness, speed, strength, when he was put mm-hmm. it together, that dude could not be blocked. <laughs> like, I mean, he blocked. was, he, yeah, he was legit. So, like, I mean, that I kind of see that vein there. Now, obviously, there's two guys on this Panthers team going in 2020 that would probably be considered the most explosive players on the on the entire team. One is Curtis Samuel, um, wide receiver, kind of running mm-hmm. back, almost like a flanker throwback type of position. They clocked him at 20.99 miles per hour versus the Saints on a run in 2017. It was like a 35-yard gain, uh, and that was the fastest of that season. Um, coming out of Ohio State, he's kind of known for speed. He had a little bit of injury issues a uh, year before last, but from my understanding, new offensive coordinator Joe Brady has a lot of plans for Curtis Samuel uh, to use him in space and to use that speed. As a former cornerback, how hard is it to guard a guy like Curtis Samuel, like is it easier to defend a straight up speed guy like Ted Ginn Jr. or a shifty explosive guy like a Curtis Samuel? Which one, which one would you rather have to defend? Well, I as a corner, I always wanted to cover fast guys. The reason really? being, yes, because fast guys, you cannot run a 10-yard out full speed. But you can huh. tell those guys when they're getting ready to run that deep route. Those knees are pumping, those elbows are pumping, the knees are up, that head is down. He's going, baby. He's going deep. Just turn and start running. I always tell people James Jett was the fastest receiver I ever covered. Oh, man, James I remember Jett James was the, yeah. Yes, he was on the <laughs> Olympics team. Yeah. So Samuel, you know, all these guys, they're straight line guys. It's easy to tell their routes. That's why they try to work so hard in their – mannerism, body language, so that they don't give their routes away because a smart corner would be able to tell when a fast receiver is about to make his break. And also, I would love covering tall receivers. Mm. Again, you know where they're going to try to beat you at. They're going to try to beat you down at the goal line, basketball alley-oop, okay? But how many times did you really get down there to where they could utilize that? But a tall guy, he had to take all that height and break it down. So all you got to do is watch a tall guy's shoulder. And for a fast guy, watch his knees. Because Mm -hmm. if he's pumping, he's going deep. Just turn your hips and start running. But I would rather cover those guys. So that's why I said Jerry Rice in the beginning was the toughest because he was – he was in, but he was in betweener. He had the right height and the right speed, and he worked. His work ethics was just oh, unbelievable. Man. So yeah. Now, would you would you say Tyrone um, running uh, running back Christian McCaffrey, who was just blessed with uh, record setting running back uh, extended contract a couple weeks ago by uh, owner David Tepper and uh, general manager Marty Herney? Would you call him the most explosive running back in the league today? Or is there another guy out there you think is more explosive than McCaffrey and what and what all he can do? I would say, yes, he's explosive in the definition of what he brings to the table. He's, he's able to run the ball. Uh, he's able to catch the ball. He runs good routes. I think he's a complete running back for the offense that the Carolina wants to run. They want to get the ball in his hands, in space, and run him, so to speak, outside tackle, 
not too much up the gap, up the gut of the actual defense. But I think he serves that offense very well. And of course, I played with his dad in Denver. Uh, Ed McCaffrey covered covered Ed. Ed was a good route runner with mm. the Broncos. His dad. So uh, and also Christian. Actually, my son. We came up doing last year's training camp, and uh, you know he talked to my son, who's now ninth grade, pursuing hopefully his football career. But Christian. Mc- McCaffrey, I think he serves that offense great. He's a great mismatch for any linebacker that's trying to cover him. It's almost like you got to cover him with the safety. Christian forces defenses to have to really sub whenever it's a passing situation, and you got to bring somebody in that can cover him. So any linebacker, any kid who wants to play on the defensive side of the ball, learn how to cover as a linebacker because athletes like Christian McCaffrey and those explosive all-around running backs, man, they're putting pressure on those linebackers who really can't cover, and that's not what they're made to do. Oh, man, I'm so glad you said that because it's almost like the linebacker position. I've watched it change over the five or really – five, six years, really ever since the spread formation became super popular in the NFL and these pro teams start to really, uh, I don't want to say copy, but take elements of the college football game and implement them into the pro style. And you're right. A lot of times the past two years, Christian is usually up against uh, some poor poor soul that's at linebacker or somewhere that can't cover him <laughs> in the flat. Like it's literally like them trying to cover a wide receiver like because he's literally – I've heard people say he's the best route runner on the team. This is a running back. He's the best route runner on the team. And you're right. You almost have to put a safety on him or you almost have to dedicate a cornerback to him because of his hands and him. He can get it up the field. Um, he's a mismatch everywhere he goes. So, yes, um, well deserving of the money uh, that yes. he'll be getting. And I'm glad they gave it to him now. I hate the fact that I saw some folks saying, oh, well, they didn't have to do it now. They could have let him stay on his rookie deal, save the money. But to me, it shows – a, a level of commitment from the new head coach, Matt Rule, and Marty Herney, the general manager, and most importantly, the owner, David Tepper, that they recognize that there needs to be a face of the franchise. And Christian McCaffrey, for all intents and purposes, is the new face of the franchise for 2020 going forward. And they say that, you know, at age 30, running back to the wall and all this other kind of thing. But I don't, I mean, Christian, he's in the peak of his career right now, like in the next three years, four years, probably like the length of this extension, that's going to probably be his peak at running back. The style that he runs. Uh, people think that he's an outside runner, man, that, that dude cuts it up the middle a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's, he's the in between the tackles kind of guy. And he was like that at Stanford. So um, he, he definitely would be up there in terms of uh, explosive players uh, on the Panthers. So we're going to talk. Well, let me more. tell you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell you what I would I actually can compare Christian to. And I compare the offense when you spoke of the Panthers offense being explosive, ranked very high as far as explosive offense. I go back right away, Marshall Falk. Marshall yes. Falk. Marshall, Marshall Falk is kind of like Christian McCaffrey. Chris McCaffrey is kind of like Marshall Falk. Mm-hmm. They are similar style. Marshall was a great heck of a route runner. And Marshall also could run the ball, had great hands and the greatest show on turf. So they were three receivers. Who you going to cover? Mm. You so Christian McCaffrey is the artery of that offense, just like Marshall Falk was the artery of the greatest show on turf. So that just came to my mind as far as no, a yeah. great comparison would be Marshall Falk. And I think kind of just looking at some of what Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, the new guy coming in from LSU, what he did last year at LSU and turn that that offense into a, you know, 6,000 yard churning <laughs> 60 touchdown throwing offense. It's kind of a lot of people think it's like deep bombs and stuff like that, but it's really not. It's kind of like the way New Orleans is like this, where it's a lot of, you know, five yard, 10 yard in the air passes and getting these guys like Michael Thomas in space in the middle of the field for them to go get yak and and harness their speed as opposed to what many Panther fans are used to, what we've had really over really since Cam arrived in 2011, where it's more of a drawn out kind of lure you in with the run game and then throw it over top of you type of offense, like a yes. play action, stretch it out. The Panthers were known for throwing stuff deep down the field, but not really known for underneath stuff because our receivers were the taller – 
not as fast type guys that they were drafting Devin Funches, Kevin, uh, Kelvin Benjamin, those kind of guys. Now mm-hmm. with Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, we haven't even talked about DJ Moore. He's, he's kind of underrated yes. in terms of his speed and explosiveness. I could see why they decided to go with Teddy instead of Cam this year because Teddy can he's more precise as a as a thrower. He he worked in New Orleans with Joe Brady, so he knows the offense a little bit. And he kind of fits what I think they're going to be doing. I think it's going to be kind of almost almost like West Coast offense, sort of. Yes. But, you know, like mm-hmm. just kind of play, not really play action, just kind of quick passing, move mm-hmm. the chains. Mm-hmm. Just I don't know how to really describe it, but in my head. But get that yak. That yeah. yak. They call it yards after the catch. Let him get uh, it. Exactly. Give him that curl, 10-yard curl, or that crossing route. Catch him. Hit hit him on the run. Let him use their elusiveness. Use their speed. DJ Moore or whether it's Christian McCaffrey, who get the ball, Samuels, get the ball in their hands. Let them use their gift, like you said, explosiveness, their speed, and just get the yards after the catch. And that's how football is being played now, I think, with the rules allow offenses to be explosive like that. Yeah, and, and it's going to probably still you know lean towards the offenses going forward because, you know, everybody loves touchdowns. Everybody loves scoring. I mean, we had – was it last year, year before last, when we had that crazy uh, Rams-Chiefs uh, Monday night football game? Oh, everyone, yes. everyone declared it was the greatest ever. Both teams yes. <laughs> scoring up and down. And I know you as a defensive player, that game probably drove you nuts <laughs> watching yeah, that it, game get played. <laughs> Somebody play defense. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody put the hand up. Something, please. Hand down. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, But, no, we're going to talk some more about explosive players. Plus, we're going to get into uh, even more Panther news and notes with Joe Person. He is the beat writer from The Athletic. Uh, if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, I highly recommend doing that to get the most in-depth Carolina Panthers news and notes there. He uh, recently spoke to head coach Matt Rule. We'll get into his thoughts about um, – Teddy Bridgewater starting at quarterback for the league, Matt Rule and David Tepper, their combination being maybe one of the most progressive combos in the league today at head coach and owner, and his thoughts on whether or not the NFL is actually going to start on time. You're with Desmond Johnson and Tyrone Poole is the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Believe in Carolina Panthers. Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, along with my co-host, two-time Super Bowl winner and the first Carolina Panther defensive player drafted in uh, in franchise history, cornerback, 13-year vet, Tyrone Poole. Joining us right now, he is a beat writer for the Carolina Panthers for The Athletic. You can go to theathletic.com. I just uploaded my subscription last week. Joe Pearson on the, uh, on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. What's going on, Joe? What's happening, guys? I appreciate you having me on. So I know uh, earlier in the podcast, Joe, we were talking about explosive players in franchise history and you you've been covering the Panthers for a while uh, with the Charlotte Observer and now on a bigger platform at the Athletic. Are there are there guys that pop in your head when someone says explosive Carolina Panther? Who's the first or second, you know, guy that pops in your head as someone that you saw on a practice field and was just blown away like, oh, man, that guy. That guy is something different. He's got a quick twitch thing going on. So, first of all, caveat, as you guys know, I, I didn't start covering the team till 2010. So, you know, Tyrone's list might be different than mine. But, but with that, <laughs> with that said, and this is a guy you don't really think about as explosive. But, man, I, I had the good fortune of being on this beat for the start of the Cam Newton era. Mm. And... And again, you know, I don't know that 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 he's necessarily what you're thinking of in terms of quick twitch, that kind. But my goodness, guys, like I've all of us have been around sports a long time. I've covered all kinds of different sports, been in lots, lots of locker rooms. There aren't many dudes that make you sort of like say, holy crap. Hmm. Well, the first time Cam Newton comes rolling into that locker room, it was like, holy crap. (laughs) <laughs> quarterbacks quarterbacks aren't but they're not supposed to be built like he is right i mean he and but but then and then to see him take off from the pocket in those early years when he did have a little more explosiveness that that was pretty cool 
you know, Ted Ginn is a guy that he didn't have, doesn't have a very uh, diverse route tree, but man, <laughs> man, he can get from point A to point B in a hurry. You know, uh, we, we, we talked about that. We talked about Ted Ginn. I, I wanted to stop you right there because uh, Ty, I want you to give your definition of explosiveness to, to Joe, because I think the definition you gave earlier on in the podcast really emphasizes how he could pick someone like Cam Newton uh, for this category. Yes. Yes. Well, Joe, my definition of a, of an explosive athlete is basically someone who can take their speed and strength and develop it at a rate of force at a given time. So whether it's making a cut, you run fast, you make a cut, you explode again. And it's like you don't lose speed. Uh, there are a lot of guys who are straight line guys who they're speed guys, but then once right. you get them to stop and redirect, they lose all explosiveness. So to me, my definition is a guy who can use that speed and strength to develop a rate of force to be used at a given time. So whether it's a defensive end or a quarterback, like you said with Cam Newton, I like Cam and I even use Kerry Collins. I know mm. you were not there back in the day, Joe, but Kerry Collins was a big quarterback. He and Cam was 6'5", and Kerry had some toughness about him. And, you know, so Cam might have been a little bit more athletic. But, yeah, I definitely agree with Cam being one of those explosive guys. And, and Ty, that's literally, I told you before, that's literally the first time I've ever heard anyone call Kerry Collins explosive. But you saw him, so I'm <laughs> going to I'm gonna trust your opinion <laughs> on, on seeing him every day out in the field. Uh, and I love your definition of it. It's a combination of strength plus speed. In terms of Cam Newton, though, I, I agree, Joe. Cam, Cam, kind of. I've, I've tried to figure out who he reminded me of the most, and I keep settling on one guy in terms of his playing style and just kind of how he was. And it was Randall Cunningham. Like he, mm-hmm. he, he kind of feels like a forty pounds of muscle more freak. Cam Newton. I could see that yeah. Randall Cunningham comparison in terms of, especially early Randall Cunningham, Philadelphia Eagles Cunningham, where it was like. I think his name was like rubber rubber band man or something like that. Mm-hmm. He could like bounce around. You thought he was down and he he would still be on his feet. And he's just completing these crazy passes and having these crazy scrambles. And they're kind of built the same way, sort of like tall. Obviously, no one's built like Cam Newton, but he's the closest thing to it. And I'm hoping for Cam's sake that the second part of his career mirrors what the second part of Randall's career was. Uh, as well. Uh, Joseph Person on the line with us uh, from the Athletic, beat writer for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Joe, you were recently uh, in a press conference call with head coach Matt Rule, first year head coach for the Carolina Panthers, uh, and he touched on a number of different subjects here. How comfortable do you feel about Teddy Bridgewater taking over a starting quarterback and having to help install a new offense basically remotely through video screens? Uh, from my understanding, they haven't really had a chance to really get together and you know toss balls around or whatnot. Talking to Matt Rule yesterday, what is your vibe in terms of how they're feeling about uh, this new uh, offense being installed? You know what? I kind of the, the more I hear about Teddy Bridgewater, the more I think he is the right quarterback for this moment in Panthers history. And what I mean by that is, listen, nobody expects the Panthers to come out and be a contender this year. It's like that that wasn't the M.O., when David Tepper gave Matt Rule a seven-year contract. Matt Rule, you guys know his track record. He goes into a program like Temple and Baylor, granted at the college level, but we've seen him do the same thing here. And he kind of tears it down, gets rid of guys that don't really fit his system, and then he builds it back up in his image and in the image of, of, uh, obviously, the two or the offense and defensive systems. Well, guess what? Teddy Bridgewater spent two years in New Orleans with Joe Brady. Joe Brady's going to be like, he's not reinventing the wheel here. His main influence was Sean Payton. Like he's going to run an offense that looks a lot like the saints. He will have his own stamp on it. No doubt about it. But, and so, and so you have Teddy Bridgewater coming in. Then you've got, even though, like you said, the virtual thing's not ideal. Rule said that 
it was very clear Teddy Bridgewater was not a guy that really loved the whole virtual thing as, as opposed to being in person and doing his thing on the field. But having said that, at least there's a guy that already knows the offense, right? Like, he, yeah. I mean, he, he's still mm-hmm. going to have to help teach it to the rest of the offensive players who were not in it, uh, you know, in New Orleans. But I don't know. I, I don't know that Teddy Bridgewater, I don't know if we're talking two years from now, if we're talking about him being a franchise quarterback or if he just ended up being a bridge guy. But I think in either scenario, I think if he is, even if he is just a bridge guy, I, I think he's the right guy for this uh, on a lot of different levels. I like how you brought up, um, you know, the offense being similar to what the Saints run. Because I think a lot of people mm-hmm. from the outside in, and Tyrone, maybe you can echo this. A lot of people think the Saints are like a down the field, throwing the ball type, you know, 55 times a game type offense. And they're really not. They're really more of a keep everything kind of underneath get guys in space, let Breeze throw it five, seven yards in the air to Michael Thomas or somebody on a slant and let them use their speed to to get yards after the catch. And And it feels like that from watching LSU last year, going into this season with the personnel they kept on offense, it kind of feels like that's the way it's going to be for Carolina. So I definitely see why Teddy Bridgewater would be a much better option in that offense where it's more about precision and timing than it is about just sheer athleticism uh, if they had kept Cam Newton there. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on on Joe Brady? Uh, Joe, the 30-year-old offensive coordinator, uh, new offensive coordinator for the Panthers. He's never actually coordinated a full offense at any level. He wasn't the offensive coordinator at LSU. He was some sort of assistant offensive coordinator, I guess. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that with him? And what anything that uh, Matt Rule say regarding Joe Brady? Yeah, so, of course, he was passing game coordinator at LSU. Uh, You know, it's sort of like the chicken or the egg. Like, did he help make Joe Burrow or did Joe Burrow make Joe Brady? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, I think the jury's still out. Like, I I like the outside of the box kind of thinking in hiring him. You know, they could have easily gone and gotten a guy with more NFL experience, like, you know, kind of like a Mike McCoy who interviewed here. Uh, but it was very clear and, and frankly back on the, you know, like I think Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater were always kind of like a package deal. And I, but I, I like his enthusiasm, you know, they did incredible things at LSU last year. you know, now that the, the, the full coordinator, the, 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 the Steve Ensminger was the, the main coordinator at LSU, but Brady clearly had his hands all over it. But, but even Matt rule said, look, like, I love everything I have learned about Joe Brady in the five months we've worked together. However, you don't really get to know what a coach or a player is like until you've, like, gone through some adversity with him. Everything's, you know, yes, they had some adversity this offseason, like every the other 31 teams did in terms of the, the COVID. But, like, and Matt, I mean, Matt Rule's quote was, until you're getting booed off the field, and you're having those meetings, you know, the following Monday, you know, then you really find a, find out what a guy's made of. So, you know, it, it's – listen, the way David Tepper structured this, like not getting the safe choice, like it's either going to be wildly successful or, they're, or we're going to be saying, wow, he spent a lot of money on a guy who wasn't ready yet. But by everything – everybody I've talked to seemed to think Joe Brady, I mean, it worked at LSU – He's going to, it'll work here, but uh, you know, Tyrone will tell us it's not that simple always. No, it's not. And actually Joe, you and Desmond, it's a great point, a great topic, starting with the leadership, you know, Joe Brady coming in, even if he hasn't done a been an offensive coordinator, like you said, Joe leadership, if he can come in and show the players that during tough times or tough situations, he knows how to either change the structure or change the strategy to get that victory. Then he build it. The fans are going to come and the players are going to follow. So I definitely believe as a player, you're only going to believe in someone based off of how they handle tough situations, because you can lose a lot of credit credibility if you cannot 
manifest what is required of you when the lights are out. Anybody can do it when you're feeling good, but can you do it when you're feeling bad? So I definitely agree with that assessment. You know, and the one thing, too, I would say that uh, Matt Rule has going for him is the age of these guys, the skill position players on offense. They're all relatively young. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, if I'm not mistaken, he he will turn 24 here soon, or he just did turn 24. DJ yeah. Moore is younger than that. Curtis Samuel is younger than that. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is, what, 27? So, I mean, they're and he's been in this system. So, I think it's a lot easier to take guys that are kind of still maybe raw, maybe have only had like one offensive system so far in their pro career, and to, to to turn them into this, which is more, again, it's not a lot of deep stuff. They, they'll they'll take the shot if it's there, but it's primarily getting guys like mismatches and getting them in space. McCaffrey lining them up on the line, going four or five wideouts out. You know, we haven't even mentioned the addition of Robbie Anderson to this this uh, unit as well. Um, th- there's a lot of potential there, so I'm very interested to see where they go with that. Uh, on the line with us, Joe Person from The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Joseph Person. Um, Joe, I wanted to talk about something else that Matt Rule has mentioned. And I've been on uh, with with Matt Rule and owner David Tapper really, really since the beginning of this year. And then with a lot of the social upheaval going on across the country um, as we speak, he did mention considering taking a knee uh, with his players. He's been very supportive of the uh, – of the changes that are going on right now socially as has uh, the owner, David Tepper, would you consider uh rule and owner David Tepper to be the most progressive head coach head coach slash owner combo in the league right now? You know what? It's a great question. And they certainly got to be, if, if they're not, then they're, it's you know, it's, it's a small list. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. a short <laughs> list. Um, hmm. You know, Kyle, tell us. I mean, most of these most of these owners are pretty conservative dudes who are, you know, a bunch of them supported Trump, uh, and, and and including you know Jerry Richardson was as conservative as they come too. It's I mean it it has been a full one eighty here in terms of uh, an organization's willingness to to be accepting of players' social views and giving them more of a voice. And you know, I think I think. In the locker room, everyone will tell you it was a welcome change that that David with David Tepper, they don't feel like they're walking on eggshells. You know, if if they go out and participate in a march or if they say something on Twitter, you know, supporting a a cause or joining a movement and 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 rules very much the same way. Yeah. You know, I I don't know whether he'll end up kneeling or not, but the fact that, you know, that he's willing to consider it and and you know, keeping an open mind about it, I think tells you a lot about him. And, uh, you know, it, 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 we've talked to different players this off season and, and they all seem to be emboldened and, you know, f- will it make a difference on the field? I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I think when, when you're happy at work and you're, you're, you know, you're not all stressed out. I think it's a lot easier to get your best performance than the, than the other way. Yeah, I would. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And it, it's it's for me. I mean, I'm a day one fan of the Panthers uh, from when they arrived in '95, and and growing up here in the uh, the deep south here in North Carolina, it a it's welcoming for me to see the changes that are starting to take place, and that this mm-hmm. generation is starting to step forward to to try to push that narrative along. And it's not getting they're not backing away from it. It's it feels like the whatever that movement may be however you see it, it's just getting bigger and bigger uh, as the days go by. And I love the fact that my favorite sports team, the Carolina Panthers, now with this new owner, the richest owner in the league, he seems super progressive, very outspoken. Uh, He has his own swagger about him. Like It's just a totally different regime than when Jerry Richardson was here. And and I, for one, I love it. Like, I can't wait to see what the product of this is going to be because I can only imagine, and maybe Ty, you can echo this, yeah. Uh, as you said, Joe, I mean, players kind of play better when they're or just people at work in general. You you tend to work better. You have more fun. It doesn't feel like work when you're working someplace where your your boss or manager or whoever respects your work and enjoys what you do and gives you the freedom to do what you do best. And uh, like I said, Ty, being a 13 year vet, 
you've had numerous yeah. different types of coaches that were over top of you over your career. Would you yeah. would you say that's pretty accurate that the, the environment that's created by the the coaching staffs and the uh, the ownership goes a long way towards creating that tradition of winning or excellence or however way you want to put that? Yeah, it definitely does. And I believe most owners, in my belief, are like, how should I say, leaves blowing in the wind. Wherever <laughs> their money go, that's where they're going to go. And <laughs> Tepper and Coach Rule, I think they are going to be like trees planted. Like you said, Tepper, mm-hmm. he has the income. He knows what he wants to do. So he's going to be more like a tree planted. And with that being said, players tend to know that they're going to be covered by someone who is firmly planted in their beliefs. So you're going to work harder. You're going to do things because you know this guy is going to back you up. Unlike owners who they may give you a little shade here, but as soon as the, a stiff wind blows, then you're like, hold on, what happened to my shade? I'm like, what happened to my what happened to my covering? So I think what Tepper is doing and Coach Rule are doing, and like you said, the youth is a new era. And this ownership in Carolina, I think they're going to be like trees planted and their roots are going to be firm and they're going to cover their players. They're going to cover the organization. They're going to do what's best for the city. So I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. On the line with us, Joseph Pearson, uh, beat writer for the Carolina Panthers with The Athletic. Follow him at Joseph Pearson on Twitter. Um, let's talk about the elephant in the room because we're now we're in July. So we, we are, I mentioned it before, we're kind of running out of runway, fellas, in terms of what the NFL is going to do. And uh, we hadn't really seen too much yet in terms of them acknowledging the fact that coronavirus may, in fact, alter, if not put the 2020 season on pause. Um Joe, they they're saying, you know, Roger Goodell came out and said, you know, we're expecting training camps to start on time. Players have to report by July 28th. Uh, I'm, I'm literally sitting here right now watching the numbers of cases skyrocket, particularly in the south. Uh, Florida just reported like 9000 cases the other day in one 24 hour period. Texas is exploding. States are starting to pull back from reopening phases, including our own here in North Carolina. So we're still kind of stuck in phase two through, I think, July 17th is when they'll look at it again. What is your gut feeling right now as we sit here in the first week of July on the 2020 season actually starting on time? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) listen, I think they're, I do think training camps are going to start on time. Like at the, the NFL has had the benefit of being able to sit back and watch how NASCAR has done it. Ha- watch how the PGA has done it. Uh, they're going to, they're going to get to see uh, NBA and major league baseball, at least get into camps here in the coming days. Um, so that's a benefit, right? Like they can, they can say, well, and, and, and I know it's a little bit apples and oranges because these, those teams that I mentioned don't have 90 players, uh, you know, per squad, but, but they still can, 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 can learn where the NBA, what, what the NBA did, right. What major league baseball did wrong. What, how this testing uh, procedure worked better than this other testing procedure. I think that all works to the NFL's benefit. What I have a hard time getting my head and hands around is that Panthers report the end of July. And let's say they're preparing and and let's say there's a scaled down preseason, which I think there will be. But but Mm -hmm. let's say there's going to be there's going to be two games. Well, what if 16 guys get it? And, 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 you know, before they're supposed to go to Baltimore Mm -hmm. in the middle of August or what happens if if. 18 guys get it. This is this, frankly, is what scares me more and, and what could shut the league down is what if they get into the games that count and you don't have 100 guys on your roster or 90, you've got 53 mm-hmm. or 55 in the new and say there's a big outbreak then, you know, like do you have to forfeit or do you play with the, you know, the 39 guys that, you know, I don't know. It's, mm. it's nuts to think it's nuts to think about. I tend to think that it's going to start on time training camp. I'll be pretty surprised if we make it through 17 straight weeks unscathed. 
Uh, you know, I, I I'm I was looking at the schedule when they put the schedules out uh, a month or so back, and the one thing that stood out to me was that it was almost like they were backloading divisional games, like they were putting them all at the back of the year. And the first like four weeks of the season, if you go through the teams and look at them, the majority right. of them are like cross conference type games, games that in the end wouldn't decide a division. So although we haven't heard anything from the NFL in terms of a plan B, can you both of you guys, you want to take a shot in the dark in terms of what the plan B would be? Say that that doomsday scenario that Joe just laid out there, say it happens uh, before we can even get into the regular season, say like in August, it, it's just so much of an outbreak going on that the NFL is like, okay, we got to put a pause on this for a little bit. Can you see a scenario where they do like a 12 game season they, they basically drop the whole month of September. They start in October, and it's a 12-game basically sprint and everything, all the dates and everything stays the same after that. Or can they even do some of the things that, like Dr. Fauci was mentioning, that they would need a bubble and all these kind of things like the NBA is doing, but with the NFL, clearly it would be on a much larger scale. Are those things even feasible, or is this a situation where we're kind of at the mercy of either we do it the way we normally do it or we're not going to be able to do it at all? Yeah, I, well, I think we're at the mercy of the point where you got to do it like this or you can't do it at all. Uh, and I go back. It's not when someone gets sick uh, or if someone gets sick, but when someone gets sick, because someone's going to get sick. And sports is not something like a job. You can say, OK, let's all shut down for uh, shut down your cubicle for uh, five, 10 days and then let us spray everything. Athletes athletics you got to keep the flow it's like the flow of water if you stop then you got to warm it back up again now you start to increase the chances of injury so now you're really if you're saying if you're thinking that this COVID-19 coronavirus can be detrimental to someone's health well if you shut someone down which I think you got at least if you're uh, detected that you have the virus, you have to go 14 days. So that's two weeks of shutting your facilities down. So I think you increase the chances of injuries happening if you have to shut it down. So it's almost like it's a, a do or die. We either got to go forth with it, or if it happens, then we got to shut everything down completely, take whatever resources we've gained, and get ready for next year. That's how I see it. De- Desmond, let, let me add, jump in there. And, and Ty is absolutely right. I mean, he makes great points. The NFL did kind of build, and they didn't talk a lot about it, but they did build in kind of a little bit of a plan B, to, to, you know, to borrow your phrase. And, and it is exactly what you said. Like the first, the first four weeks, especially weeks three and four, if you look at weeks three and four, you know, I think in the Panthers case, I think they're playing the Chargers and I don't, I don't have the schedule in front, but it's not division teams. And those games could almost just go away completely. And then week two, week two where the Panthers are supposed to you know, go to Tampa Bay for Tom Brady's uh, home debut with the Bucks. that that if, if you go around the league on week two. All both of those opponents b- both share the same uh, open date later in the season. Uh. So, so here's what we're looking at the possibility. And and again, to Tyrone's point, that, that, that it's going to mean a, a, a shutdown and a restart potentially. But say they play week one and it's like, holy, that this just ain't going to happen. This ain't going to work. We got to figure something else out. And they shut it down. Week two games can be rescheduled because, as I say, all those teams shared the same bye. Then and then and then the week three and four games you could see just be be flushed. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they come back in week five where you're into like early October, and they try it again. You know, it's it's none of this is ideal, obviously, but it, but I do, I you know, the NFL did at least have some semblance of a plan B in there, even though. You know, as I said, Roger Goodell and company are, are, and you pointed this out, Desmond. I mean, they're acting like they're just bowling forward full steam ahead. But there is a plan B even. I'm, I'm not sure why they haven't discussed it much. I guess that, you know, kind of uh, prepare for the worst and hope for the best kind of thing. But I don't know. It, it, I, I, I do. As I said earlier, I, I would I just have a hard time seeing 
how it's going to go week one through week 17 and without a hiccup. It, it, it almost feels like not really arrogance from the NFL, but more of a no one's going to tell us what to do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just it just kind of has this feel of we're the NFL. We're going to decide how we play, where we play, when we play. We're not going to, you know, follow what the NBA did or or even, you know, I've applauded NASCAR because they've kind of become the de facto guinea pig of this whole experiment in terms of what can and can't work. Um, I don't think the NFL would even be really, truly, honestly entertaining having fans in the stands if it wasn't for NASCAR kind of pulling that off over the past couple of weeks and gradually expanding that out. Having said that, I I hate to say it because I, I I I need football. <laughs> like it needs to be here. Like I think everybody here on this on this podcast kind of feels the same way. Like we we are not looking forward to a fall without football. It just doesn't sound right at all. But um, I, I don't know. I, do, do you feel comfortable? Would you feel comfortable watching a football game with no fans? I'd be curious to hear Ty's point on this, too. That How about this scenario? The NFL saying recently that they're going to leave it up to the teams and, and their local municipalities. So you could have a situation oh my where, <laughs> where the, you know, how, I mean, how fair is that? Like, let's say in Charlotte here, they're allowed to sell 20 percent of the tickets. Let's say the Jets. Uh, allow zero percent up in new york mm-hmm. but there's there maybe there's a market i don't know where it is miami jackson Florida. Name <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Where, where they're letting like 80 percent like that then it becomes sort of a fairness a home field advantage equity issue <sighs> i didn't even think about that yeah that's because it's all state by state and i think that's the main problem we've echoed that before uh on uh, the believe in panthers podcast where a lot of the problem that we're having in the sports world is that there hasn't really been a clear uh, idea of what we're all supposed to be doing from the top. Like the the feds have kind of thrown their hands up at all of this. It's almost like they're trying to, to ignore that it's there, but then, so they've kind of passed the buck to the States. And to your point, Joe, all the States have different guidelines. And like, I mean, these teams, they're spread out across what 25 states or so 24 states in the NFL. So a a team on the West coast in California, say like the LA chargers might have different uh, rules in place for their, for their municipalities than say Charlotte and the South, or it might be reverse where like it is right now where the South is a hot spot. North Carolina is pulling back. Who's to say that come September uh, 11th, when that first week would be coming around, that we might be in another shut, uh, uh, stay at home order or something at that point, like depending on what happens between now and then. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Uh, well, not kind of, it is. It's weird in a sense that we don't know what's going to happen. But to me, it was even the NFL hadn't even really laid out what could happen. Like they're just going forward, like this is what's going to happen. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, confused here about all that but like again would you want to watch a, a football game with no fans because it feels like the that that fan participation is such a huge part of the three and a half hours continuously there's just a roar from the fans like especially in a good game take that element yeah. out like do you want to watch football that way well here's a uh, i'll throw this in uh now if you're talking about watching it from television i think it still can work and why I'm kind of making a joke here at the same time, being serious here, even in Atlanta, they were fined by the NFL for piping in uh, crowd noise. So, <laughs> so I think with the smartness of these camera people, they know how to fixate the angle of the camera to where really you don't see the crowd, but you can hear. So now it'll be based on the person who is engineering the sound, when to get that, rah, or let's go. Let's. So still, I think watching the game, you're more focused on the snap of the ball, the person going in motion, and that ambience noise is just something that is added to it. But I personally believe that you can watch the game without the fans. And now if you're there at the stadium, you may feel a little bit, lonely but still your focus is going to be 
on the play itself, not really who's sitting beside you, unless your team scores a touchdown and then you have nobody to high five. So <laughs> that's, that's probably the only thing that's going to be tough. So, so you think they could do it almost like what a, yeah. almost like a laugh track? Like they could literally show an empty stadium, but have like the the noise kind of pumped in for the TV audience. Well, I think not to show the empty stadium, but they can condense the cameras to where it's just focused straight on the play, the players. They do such a great job with that, uh, just focusing in on just the play and the players and just pipe in the noise so that you get that ambient noise through the television. Hmm. Joe, what are your thoughts on that in terms of having to cover a game with no fans? Well, I guess it comes back back to your your question, your original question, Desmond. It's like, would you rather have football that way or no football at all? And yeah. if, if those are the, if those are the choices, then, then I think it's, you know, it's a no brainer, right? Like we don't, we don't want to have an empty fall where there's no football at all. I mean, I, I, I think, I think that, I think that would, I think it'd be tough on the economy and, you know, it'd be tough for our, our national psyche. I mean, football is now the national sport, right? It's the national pastime. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it it would be weird and it would suck not to have fans in the stands. But I and I think there will be some st- fans like I, I think, you know, I don't there. I don't think they're going to be full. You know, already they're talking about like selling advertising, uh, you know, putting up tarps over certain sections of the seats and selling advertising. Um, people are getting goofy and, you know, like they're trying to think outside the box. I read that the San Francisco giants, if fans, like, I don't know if they have to pay for this or not, probably, (laughs) but if you sent you, if you like send in a, if you're a San Francisco giants fan, you send in a photo of yourself to like the team website or whatever. And they put you like on a poster board and they're going to have all these poster board pictures oh in no this, in oh no oh no no i know man it's like it's new it's just like people getting weird like oh i don't God. know <laughs> oh like, that's... we we've been without baseball so long and i like baseball look like like baseball and football are probably my two things but i mean i hate to say it like after a certain while I, I kind of was okay with no baseball. Like, and, and I, even this, the two month schedule season they're going to have to me seems kind of silly and, and whatever, but I would not be okay without football in the fall college pro, even high school, man. Like yeah. I, our, our local high school here in Charlotte, has gotten really good. Uh, a bunch of former Panthers kids play for it. Like it's fun to go watch them. I'd, I'd be completely bummed without football this fall. Who's that? Uh, Cause I do high school football up here in the triad. Um, who's that squad down there in Charlotte that you're talking about? No. It's, so it's Myers park. Oh, okay. They were free for years. They were pretty terrible at football, but um, you know, it's kind of cyclical. Uh, they have Masin Muhammad's kid last year. That's going like Texas A&M. Uh, they have Dre Blyze, two boys have played there. And then their, their big stud quarterback is, uh, Luke May's younger brother. Oh, uh, Drake, Drake. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And um, you guys remember, you, you guys remember Mark may played, you know, at Chapel Hill and then, mm-hmm. and then Luke may, Luke may won a national championship at Chapel Hill for basketball. And now Drake just recently, he's the quarterback. He just recently changed his commitment from Alabama to Chapel Hill. Yeah, shout out to Mac Brown putting in work right now out in Chapel Hill. Uh, like seriously, and I'm a I'm a Tar Hill fan, uh, born and bred. So I, it warms my heart to see Mac doing all that. I was asking because uh, I actually do play by play and produce the uh, high school football for East Forsyth here in Kernersville. They're nice. the, the two time 4A state champ, but they uh, they get a chance to avoid teams like Myers Park and Mallard Creek and those other guys because they're in the they're in the lower 4A division. And right, I think Myers right. Park's in four double A, so they let them all kill each other, and each just kind of blast through the <laughs> the playoffs. And hopefully, they're trying to go for three. <laughs> they're trying to go for a three peat this year. So we we definitely in this area want high school football to happen. But again, to echo uh, what you were saying, talk to the high school coaches around here. They don't know. They they don't know. They haven't seen their kids in three months, like face to face. Like they they have no idea, and they probably won't know until uh, Governor Cooper comes back out here, I think they're going to announce something here at the beginning of July in terms of schools, and then they'll kind of go from there with fall sports. So we'll we'll see, but everything's kind of up in the air. Um, 
Joe, we did not mean to keep you this long, but the conversation was so good. We had to hold on to you for a little bit longer. Uh, We really appreciate having you on. And especially if there's going to be ongoing season, uh, me and Ty would love to have you back on as a regular uh, guest on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I'd love it, man. I appreciate both you guys having me. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, can I say this real quick before we get off? Joe mentioned the uh, cardboard. Now, if anybody (laughs) want to know what that looks like, go to the KBO South Korean Baseball League. Oh, man. I think they try to do that. They try to put cardboard cutouts. So if you want to see what that's going to look like, there you go. So you know what? Stiff wind came through. Them cardboards are going down. Well, you know what else they were doing out there too? They were putting sex dolls out in the in the, the stands, like for a little bit. Yeah, so they they were trying everything to make the the, the, the allure that there was a crowd out there. So I don't know if uh, I don't know if owner David Tepper is that progressive. So we'll we'll see uh, <laughs> we'll see how they handle that. But uh, we're going to end it on that note, Joe. Man, we appreciate you, man, so much. I just subscribed to the Athletic because of you and the work over there and uh we definitely will be in touch and have you back on real real soon appreciate it all right joe thanks you too all right and you're listening to the believe in carolina panthers podcast on the believe podcast network thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.